0: So a guy walks into a bar and says, Hey, I want to be fully present for every little avenue of life, every little task, every little experience. I want to let life in evenly, fluidly, non-judgmentally, and I don't want it to overwhelm me. The bartender looks at him and says, Well, what does he say? This is Stefan Ravalli telling you that this is it. Everything you need is available to you right here, right now. All the skills, insight, joy, bliss, wisdom, growth, it's all happening. You see, I've realized after over like a decade in hospitality, and then also teaching meditation and mindfulness, the grit and grime of service life, like waiting tables in a restaurant, that's where everything I've cultivated gets actioned and tested. That's where you can learn everything you need to know about mastering yourself. Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast. Let's talk about how this all works. <laughs> oh my God, my new theme music sounds a bit dramatic. I think I like it though. <laughs> I don't know. It's like um, it's like the movie Joy, which uh, you know fictionalizes the uh, dawn of infomercials and um, the miracle mop lady played by jennifer lawrence who is this infomercial personality was like this down-to-earth mom who wore a blouse and jeans and then when they first filmed her they um dressed her up in the same kind of flamboyant gown as they had for joan rivers and she was like i don't know if i feel comfortable this made up (laughs) Uh, but this is i don't know this is like totally me it's just it's just a little spicier than i'd originally thought things would sound but that's that's evolution right That's life. Things become spicier than we... Then we get confronted with the change, and we're like, I don't know, I'm not sure about this. And then we get into it, and we're like, oh, this was me all along. Why wasn't I doing this all along? (laughs) Um, How did I find some kind of, like, spiritual truth in my theme music and the Miracle Mob Lady story? I don't know. Anyway, what am I talking about today? I'm talking about my interview with Rachel Cable of the Mindful Kind online education resource... Blogs, podcasts, and she also wrote a book that provides a very detailed guide to mindful living, but does so very simply, very practically, like anything she offers. But, you know, it is methodical and it'll challenge you, which is good. It's a very good challenge to present for yourself because anything you're doing, you know, like eating, watching TV, showering, brushing your teeth. It can be done with attention such that you're really owning doing it, you know, and you're really doing it to its fullest and having the experience of doing it to its fullest. That's the essence of mindfulness, really. Rachel takes you through this mindful living journey uh, gently, understandingly, compassionately, and, you know, really living mindfully involves a certain rigor, a certain thoroughness. It's something that you never have any reason to switch off. Like, there's no phase of your life where a mindfulness teacher is going to be like, oh, no, you can do this part absently and, like, preoccupied with neurosis or something. So, yeah, it's not easy to be consistent and unconditional. And Rachel's work has this layer of accessibility and richness because she's very kind of vulnerable about talking about the challenges of living a mindful life, and particularly with her predisposition to be highly empathic and sensitive. And we get into defining that and understanding that and how mindfulness has helped her take what used to be disabling and use it to serve and help others. And that's ultimately become her mission through her work. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this discussion with you, which actually serves as part one of two of a series on emotions, mindfulness, emotional sensitivity, and how to live with your emotions effectively. And the part two that follows is my interview with Sherry Olander, of the Emotion Dynamics Institute. I think anyone has a lot to gain from these two episodes, um, especially if you think you're not an emotional person, as I had thought for a very long time. But if you do believe that emotions do not rule your life, then you are not looking hard enough. Seriously, you are not cultivating a mindful relationship to your emotions. And really, this is one of the most profound benefits of mindfulness, is mastering your emotional life, becoming aware of it, and elevating your relationship to yourself as this dynamic being, this emotionally dynamic being. All right, here we are, Rachel Cable, check it out. All right, I am here with Rachel Cable of the Mindful Kind uh, podcast, also a published author and um, creator of many courses and really useful mindful living uh, resources, and uh, really, really great work and work that I, I really admire. Um, actually, it's really methodical and almost um, deceptively so, <laughs> because underneath the kind of calm, sweet sort of veneer of your web aesthetic are endless challenges for people to live, you know, very differently from how they are comfortable living. And um you don 't weigh them down with too much um, philosophy it 's a lot of technique you 're leaving room completely for very thorough uh, technical approaches to um, living mindfully and so are you just like always like researching and experimenting um, with new mindfulness cultivating processes in your own life?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that the reason why I teach so many practical techniques is just because myself found that to be most useful coming from a background in psychology i really enjoy the research side of it and the practical side of it but also with my own experiences of stress and anxiety i am always searching for new ways to manage that and to move forward with that and to incorporate new things into my life that are going to be really helpful for me So I guess that's why I feel compelled to talk about it from that perspective, you know, a really practical and easy to implement approach. Um, Yeah, but I think the feedback that I get as well has helped to shift the way that I teach things and the way that I share things because more people ask me questions and so I create podcast episodes around that or create resources around that and it's kind of like a collaboration really between me and my audience because they tell me what they want to know more about and then if I don't have necessarily any experience with that I can research it and I can talk to other people who have had experience with it and then I can create things that are going to be most helpful and most relevant for them and I love being able to do that. I think that's one of the best um, aspects of having my own business and being able to choose what I want to work on and create. I love being able to do that.
0: That's awesome. Is it um, something that's really changed a lot in terms of uh, the direction of, of how, you, um, how you like uh, formulate what you're talking about or the topics you look at or how have things changed from the beginning?
1: Well, at the start, I so I launched my podcast back in late 2015 and I didn't really think that I was going to keep doing it for such a long time because mindfulness, the more you dive into it, the more you realize that there is to understand about it and the more ways that you can practice it. But at the start, I'd kind of planned out 10 episodes and I thought that maybe that might be it. (laughs) And it wasn't until I actually started recording them and doing more research and people started asking questions that I realized there was so much more I can talk about it. And, you know, now it's like three and a half years later and I'm still doing it and I still get questions and I still find new ways to incorporate mindfulness into my own life. So that's why I'm still doing it really.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Like a hundred and almost close to 200 episodes later, maybe something just, just the podcast alone. Yeah. (laughs) How did you, uh, come upon, um, you know, mindfulness, mindful living, all of these, uh, these techniques you talk about, how did it first arrive in your life?
1: At the start, I was studying psychology at university and I began volunteering on a helpline at the Anxiety Recovery Centre, which was where I actually learned about mindfulness because we were trained in different stress management techniques and we could share those with different people that called up if they wanted to know about those things And so we were sat down in a room. There was a group of us learning about mindfulness and the facilitator guided us through a mindfulness technique, which was noticing five things you can see, noticing four things that you can hear, noticing three things that you can feel in your body, noticing two things that you can smell and noticing one thing that you can taste. And as I was doing this practice, I was like, is this helpful in any way? I don't really understand how this is helpful. And I was a little bit confused, to be honest. And I decided that I would practice it myself because I didn't understand it. And that that way, when people did call up and ask me, I could give them, you know, my honest um, perspective on what mindfulness was and how to incorporate it. And so I started practicing it more and more And yeah, at first, I didn't really feel like it was doing anything. But I also started to realise that it felt unnatural for me to be in the present moment because it was something that I had avoided for a really long time. I think about things a lot, (laughs) overthink things a lot, actually. Um, And the way that my mind works is I like to be planning and predicting and always kind of working a few steps ahead. So this whole being in the present moment, was very a strange feeling for me and it wasn't until I started practicing it more and more that it started to feel a bit more natural and I began to notice how it was helpful in terms of being more connected with people when I was talking about them rather than thinking about something else entirely or if I was exercising you know, rather than thinking about how tired I was going to be at the end of it. I was just experiencing it in the present moment or cooking or showering or all these little daily activities that I was usually using to think about other things I was actually experiencing. And I found that that was just a really calming and more connected way to be living my life. And so I think I because I had started practicing it in such a practical way, I was using mindfulness during everyday activities rather than sitting down and doing a formal meditation practice. That was why I started teaching mindfulness in such a practical way. And that seemed to really resonate with people because I think there's a lot of, um, work now about meditation and sitting down and doing meditation and all these sorts of things which is amazing and I do that as well now but at the start I didn't because I felt like sitting still for even 5 minutes was just agony and so being able to practice mindfulness doing things that I was already doing was a really great way to ease into it and start my practice and then it's evolved from there
0: and um interesting how you, how you talked about um sort of always planning ahead Uh, And yet, you know, it seems that the um, Eastern influenced ideas of being in the moment, letting perhaps the moment show you where to go next is often at odds with that. And I just think to like, you know, teaching meditation to, um, you know, like corporate CEOs when they're like, how the hell am I going to do that? I think three years into the future, if I don't, everything I'm responsible for crumbles. (laughs) And so um, do you provide your listeners with uh, tips um, if they are perhaps like an extremely strategic person, how do they, I guess, be present while also uh, being that really strategic person effectively?
1: I think that when we incorporate mindfulness into our everyday lives, it can help us feel more clear and make better decisions because we have that clarity and also be a bit more connected with how we actually feel about certain things so I like to think of myself as quite a strategic and logical person and I'm always kind of, you know, from that planning and, pers- um, planning and predicting perspective, I, I do like being very organised and very methodical in the way that I work. And so being mindful for me is kind of a balancing act. It, it doesn't... Um, Take away from that side of me, it adds to it because it helps me to make those decisions and be more organized and things like that, while also nurturing that side of me that needs self care and that needs to feel my feelings rather than bottling them up and you know, sweeping them under the rug, which is something that I used to do quite a lot. And so, I think that mindfulness really helps to cultivate leaders and people that are in any kind of profession to have that clarity, have that calmness and be able to enjoy their work as well. Because for me, mindfulness has also meant connecting with my purpose and taking mindful breaks and doing things at work, which actually feel fulfilling to me and being able to connect with the the emotion of when something isn't quite working, what am I going to do about it? And how can I be assertive about this and change it and make it work for me better? So I think that there are lots of different facets of mindfulness and how it can actually help in the way that we work and the people that we are. Yeah. But I've, I've just found that it's, it's really helped to balance out that planning and predicting so that it feels a little bit less stressful and overwhelming.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, when, uh, you were working in the, uh, restaurant industry, was it the restaurant industry you were telling me you were working in or a bar industry?
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, before I went to university, I, uh, worked in a restaurant and yeah, I, that was before I learned about mindfulness. So I think that I really struggled in that industry because I'm an introvert and a highly sensitive person and, I found all of that very overwhelming and it was a difficult work environment for me. And I'd pretty much go into each shift just hoping it was going to be really quiet and hoping that no one would really come in, which, you know, did happen sometimes because I live in a small, really small town. And so it was never to the stage where it was really hectic. Um, And if it was like on Christmas or something like that, I would be so drained and I would get so overwhelmed very easily and it was just a really difficult experience for me but now I find that I'm back in a retail kind of position and I actually really enjoy it and when it's busy I don't find myself feeling quite as overwhelmed because I'm taking things one step at a time rather than thinking a few steps ahead or trying to think a few steps ahead which is what I was always doing when I was younger um you know it it means that you can serve the person who's right in front of you without thinking about the people that are in the line behind them as much. You know, you're kind of taking it just that one step at a time. And I think that that has in itself made me a better person in that industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, uh, I think about restaurants, you know, and my over a decade in them and people that have been in that industry even longer and just, you know, even if they aren't like highly sensitive people, they are just in this sort of maelstrom of people's emotions. Often that's when stuff starts to unload from people as well. When they get into a restaurant, either because they find it stressful or it's because it's the first place and time of the day that they've given themselves permission to just like, you know, unload and relax. And often, you know, uh, people are absorbing all of that stuff and, uh, it's affecting them in ways they don't even know. And, um, in fact, I think it's almost good to be highly sensitive in that environment. So you can know, you know, <laughs> literally how much you're taking on. Um, cause it's considerable. And, you know, that's why servers at the end of the day feel like sometimes destroyed, you know, um, or like beaten down or exhausted, uh, or frustrated. Um, because they're managing so much of people's emotions and, you know, it'd be fine if it was their good emotions, but often it's their whole legacy of (laughs) uh, difficulty they've had in their life that they brought to that moment. So, um, so yeah, I'm wondering, how did you, uh, what did you do uh, in in the industry to cope? Or was it just kind of like you got, you know, you had to weather the storm every day and you you wish you had mindfulness then (laughs)
1: Yeah, looking back, I do wish that I'd had more (laughs) mindfulness and more understanding of my own emotions and how to manage those and how to look after myself. I think I really struggled through it and didn't enjoy it. And I, I feel a bit sad about that because I think that actually it is something that I can do quite well because I do enjoy Having conversations with people and meeting new people and being friendly and warm, you know, that's quite a a big value to me, is showing care and love and empathy and compassion and understanding and all these Mm -hmm. things. But I wasn't showing up in that respect. I was shutting down because I had to to protect myself. And I totally understand what you mean about, you know, people come in and and their whole spectrum of emotions can be at play. And part of me kind of wishes that everyone would work in the industry at some point during their lives so they could actually understand what it feels like. Hmm. Because I think that there's just a lack of awareness about the fact that this is a real person who's, you know, dealing with me and who I'm treating with not enough respect. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, hearing you talk about that, it, it does, it makes me feel like it's one of those things that I wish everyone knew what it was actually like from the perspective of the person who's serving or working in whatever industry it might be. And just being able to understand that, you know, work is hard for nearly everyone for some reason and being able to have that understanding and ask, well, am I making it worse? Or am I making their job harder and being Mm -hmm. able to, you know, maybe move forward in a more compassionate way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I'm curious how, uh, being in retail now is a, a better sort of, um, platform a better pace a better sort of place to you know I guess be able to enjoy service and also not feel like the overwhelming intensity of it so to speak
1: yeah so I moved back to my local hometown just recently actually and I've been working on my business full-time for almost a year now And when I moved back, the local pharmacy where I used to work when I was back in high school were like, oh, we have an opening. We were wondering if you might want to come in, you know, every second Saturday and just casually to help us out. And I thought, you know, this is a really nice way to reconnect with people that I used to work with and to reconnect with the community and to just get out of the house and have a break from my work, because sometimes I think you just get a bit bogged down in what you're actually doing and it's nice to be able to get away from that for a little while. Mm. So going back um, for me has been a really positive experience because I've been able to use the things that I've learned in my time away and really implement those so that I can enjoy that work. And I have been, it's been really nice to You know, someone will come in to drop off a script and you can have a conversation and rather than getting a bit lost in my own thoughts, like, oh, what am I going to say next? And am I going to look like an idiot? And, oh, there's an awkward silence and now I feel really uncomfortable. You know, all those thoughts that used to be kind of swimming around in my consciousness, being able to instead focus on the moment and just have a conversation that flows without trying to think too far ahead and being able to really be there with someone And if they're having a hard day to be understanding of that, whereas before I wanted to fix it, you know, if someone came in and they were sick or something, I'd be like, oh, you know, I feel really bad that you're sick and I hope you're feeling better. Whereas now it's kind of like, oh, I can understand. This is a really difficult situation for you at the moment. How can we work together to come up with a a good solution for you? Um, So I guess just having a slightly different approach in the way that I work with people and the way that I work for people has really made a big difference in the enjoyment that I feel. And also I think that honestly, I'm a better employee in that situation because I am able to show up and I am able to problem solve a bit more in the moment and have these genuine conversations. And I look forward to having these genuine conversations rather than, you know, standing there and wishing that someone wouldn't come in so I wouldn't have to deal with anybody. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you think um, it was all, um, mindfulness that kind of got you to this point or do you think um, now uh, work itself can uh, can help be a practice that um, helps you know develop you and your ability to be a mindful person and uh, able to show up as a mindful person
1: I think there are a lot of things that have contributed to it I think even just growing up a little bit you know when I moved away from here I was still eighteen years old and not so emotionally intellectual and didn't know that much about um, stress management or psychology and things that I've learned that I've used to really help myself. Um, I'm a better communicator, like a much better communicator because I did used to shut down and not really talk about problems. And I wrote a lot in journals, but I don't think that was enough for me at that time. Mm -hmm. So now I think that over the years, not only have I been practicing mindfulness, but I've been engaging in self-care and seeing a psychologist and developing better support networks and reading books about, you know, meditation and self-care and psychology and just like a whole different array of personal development things that have been really life changing for me. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely a culmination of different factors, which have led me to being the person that I am now versus who I used to be. And mindfulness has definitely played a big role in that, but there are other different things as well.
0: Yeah. Um, that's a definite inspiration. Um, for me, at least, I mean, you're, you're probably, if I'm, if I'm, I'm just doing some quick math in my head of timelines, probably still younger than I was when I first learned meditation <laughs> and anything about the value of, uh, Eastern spirituality and all those practices. Uh, so it's amazing to see that kind of, um, that, uh, that drive so, uh, so young in life. And, um, and I wonder too, you know, a lot of the time that can be driven by like having these challenges, you know, of being really sensitive and having life really, really drain you. So, um, yeah, and actually I'd like to talk more about, um, about that, about sort of this, um, being a highly sensitive person and and how that's kind of contributed to, um, your, your path in life.
1: Yeah. So I think what you said, you know, earlier, just about being an emotional kind of person and having these experiences from quite a young age, I was a child when I started experiencing stress and anxiety. Um, I think that my overthinking tendencies have always kind of been there for me. I can't really remember a time when I didn't have them. And I've kept journals from when I was 11, you know, like an actual journal. But I wrote down a lot of things before that as well, but kept an actual journal. And I read back through that and it kind of shocks me you know how old I sound when I'm writing these things about how I feel and about other people and and the things that I'm trying to figure out for myself Um, you know it it, on one hand it makes me kind of sad because I look at myself and I think I, I don't know if I really experienced that happiness as much as I would have liked to when I was younger I was dealing with a lot of conflicting emotions and quite strong emotions and I think that that might be part of that highly sensitive person tendency. Um, But at the same time, I do feel like that is part of the reason why I started looking for answers from such a young age and why I wanted to go into psychology in the first place to support other people that were like me. And I think that the highly sensitive perspective um, has played a huge role in where I am now and what I do now as well. Just because I had to learn so much about emotions and I wasn't very good at handling them, to be honest. You know, when I was younger, I'd write about things and you can see like just up and down and up and down with my feelings all the time. And it was very difficult for me to handle and I didn't know how to talk about it or who to turn to. And so I felt quite lonely and isolated and I felt like no one understands what I'm going through and... I think for me um, it it made a big difference in how I moved forward because i had to I had to find a way to move forward and for me, that was the answer was studying psychology um, just because you know I was in I think year eleven when I started getting these really awful um, tension headaches, and I went to the doctor and I had a bunch of scans and things done, and eventually they decided that it was tension headaches and I had really high blood pressure and things like that and they'd mentioned putting me on blood pressure medication at 17 because I was so stressed and I think that um, that was kind of a bit of a wake-up call for me like, oh, I need to learn how to manage this better because this isn't normal and from there, it it all happened quite quickly. Everything kind of fell into place. I, I went into psychology the year after that at uni and learned so much that was really helpful and started talking to people that were very knowledgeable in this field and began to learn a lot and implemented things
0: a lot. And
1: yeah, now I am where I am today because all those things happened, I think.
0: Wow. Um, And is um, actually to clarify for me too, is being a highly sensitive person, is that the same as an empath or those um, different identifications?
1: They are slightly different. So a highly sensitive person um, doesn't necessarily absorb the feelings of other people, which is more so what an empath does.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: a highly sensitive person can still be um, easily stimulated by um, bright lights and loud sounds and and feel quite overwhelmed and need to kind of retreat and go somewhere that's quieter and feels a bit less stimulating. Um, I mean, there's lots of different things that can Um, you know, be a sign of being a highly sensitive person. But for me, that was the thing that really jumped out. Whereas being an empath means that you do spend time with other people and absorb those emotions as though they are your own. So a highly sensitive person will often be an empath um, because they have that sensitivity to emotions but not all highly sensitive people will absorb the emotions for themselves and really feel those emotions for themselves if that makes sense so yeah. you know if my partner comes home from work at the end of the day and he's angry because he's had a bad day i notice myself getting angry because i absorb that um and i take that on and suddenly i feel like i'm angry and there's no real reason for it i just i just have that emotion um and quite often Um, highly sensitive people and empaths avoid watching violent movies and things like that because seeing someone in pain you take on board that emotion so empaths especially will be susceptible to that but um, highly sensitive people will often be sensitive to that as well Um, and there's different types of pain it's not necessarily physical pain that an empath will absorb there's the emotional aspect of it as well which for me is more um, how my highly sensitive um, side and empath side show up. Um, But I also think that that's part of the reason why I wanted to go into psychology was because I always wanted to be helping people um, because I could see the emotions and I could see the pain and the struggles. And it's funny because I felt so strongly that I wanted to be able to help that. But also then when I started working or volunteering in the field on the helpline, I couldn't disconnect from those feelings at the end yeah. of the day. I, I couldn't go home and and not be feeling something that someone else was feeling. Um, so it kind of perpetuated stress and and struggles for me as well. So that was kind of the reason why I didn't go down that psychology path all the way to the end and become a registered psychologist just because I felt like I couldn't distance myself from the emotional pain of other people um and why I've kind of molded my work to be more online and to have a bit more of a disconnection it's it's really because I need to protect myself um as much as I can
0: yeah yeah and actually I hear of that field you know uh um help you know helpline people and um is that the word wow like, helpline, hotline. Anyway, um, you know, people on the phone that help with you know crisis or anxiety, um, or you know, psychologists that it, there's just a high tendency of burnout. You know, um, even if they may not consider themselves empathic, it's just there's just so much wear in kind of processing that much of someone else's intense emotions. You know,
1: yeah, definitely, and I think there's a spectrum as well of how much you take on, like some days when I'm I'm feeling better about myself, I think I, I've got stronger walls up, if that makes sense. And I can, I can handle it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if I haven't been taking so much good care of myself or if I'm feeling flat, then those walls come down a bit more and I'm more susceptible to it. So I think, you know, different days and different people experience it differently. And yeah, it's very, it's interesting.
0: Um, so I'm so curious about the distinction then. So empath, um empath is mainly about emotions taking on emotions highly sensitive person is all sensory information including emotions kind of hits you really hard the volumes turned up um Mm -hmm. but it all but it may not necessarily mean yourself feeling the emotions just the sensory there's a certain sensory impact so to speak that's like higher than uh than normal
1: Yeah. So you might have a very deep awareness of it, um, of, you know, if someone comes home and they're very angry or something like that, and you can look at them and say, oh, they're really angry. And "Oh, I can feel um, I can understand what that feels like, but I don't feel it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, That's more of the highly sensitive person. Whereas, you know, for an empath, you can't kind of not absorb the emotion and feel the same way. And so I have to be really careful about that. Mm -hmm. And my partner's really great about that as well. Like if he's gotten home and the traffic's been really crazy and, you know, it's been a really long day or whatever, you know, he understands that his emotions impact me. And so we'll often have a chat about it and then I'll let him kind of have his face and work through his emotions himself and then, you know, it's a bit easier to move forward. Whereas before I understood so much about the empath side of me, you know, we'd we'd kind of not be able to handle it so well. So that's why I love learning more about this side of myself and how to look after this side of myself because it means that I can Actually, vocalize my needs and be able to take that space when I need to. And I can notice when that's happening. It's more like, oh, I can see what's happening here. Like he's feeling a certain way, and so now I'm feeling a certain way, and so now we're both kind of in this space where maybe we're clashing a little bit, um, and we need to take a little bit of time. This isn't actually my emotion, you know. I'm just taking this on board. So I think having that awareness has made a really big difference in how I deal with challenging situations. Um, and it's been really, really helpful.
0: Cool. Um, what um, resources uh, do you use and, and teachers of, you know, empathy-oriented um, mastery um, do you do you tend to draw on for uh, for support?
1: Um, I've mostly just been doing a lot of research lately. So I have found a couple of books which I've ordered which haven't actually arrived yet, so I haven't read them. But I had a conversation with a woman named Tali who um, creates meditation music, but she recently started a podcast, uh, which is called The Seekers Sanctuary. And it was doing the preparation for our conversation that I started to realize that I'm a highly sensitive person and, you know, an empath as well. And so it's kind of a new revelation for me, and I'm still kind of understanding more about it and learning more about it and trying to find these new resources. So I feel like I'm kind of starting at the start, but I've gone and followed people on Instagram that shared quotes about highly sensitive people. I think it's called Highly Sensitive Refuge or something like that um, and ordered these books so that I can um, develop my awareness around these things a little bit more. Um, But there's so much information now, which is amazing to just be able to look it up and find new people that have done amazing work in this field. And um, I think the other thing that's been really important for me during this process really is self-compassion and being able to recognize these parts of myself without judging myself or blaming myself for them. And so with self-compassion, there's a woman named Kristen Neff who has done a lot of work in the area and she incorporates mindfulness into self-compassion a lot as well, because obviously to know how to look after yourself and how to be compassionate, you kind of have to have a level of awareness and presence and nonjudgment, which are the important aspects of mindfulness and to be able to use those things to then look after yourself, if that makes sense.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I'm discovering new people all the time and new resources all the time. And I'm just really excited to be finally learning more about it and things just clicked and it's been a really fun process. So yeah, but I'm still quite new to it all really.
0: Have you heard of uh, Carla McLaren? No, really interesting yeah she has this school like a whole institution now like an online institution called uh, emotion dynamics and like emotion academy and i'm actually interviewing one of the the her trained teachers um in like a week um sherry olander and i'm really excited about that but um her work is really interesting to check out because she talks about how like you know you can be an empath and until you learn Um, How to sort of drive that ship you're going to feel like you know smashed around by emotions, but once you do You'll learn how to channel it and once you can channel it. You're not really affected by it anymore because um As it seems and as i've heard it's not necessarily it's not like perceiving more. That's the problem That's kind of great. (laughs) Actually. That's kind of a real um, Superpower. It's um, it's it's the physical reaction to it and so um once you change the physical reaction to what you're absorbing then um then you have mastery then you can just perceive it maybe you'll feel it but you can actually channel it into something useful uh which um i'm sure takes quite a while to to get the hang of but um Karla McLaren mcclaren seems to be um quite um a force in educating about that and i think she was like one at least like an og like thought leader i, I think she actually co- uh, coined the phrase uh, the, the term empath um actually
1: i feel like i should definitely know that i'm really excited now to go and have a look
0: yeah check out carla McLaren. curious what you think i I keep citing her work on my podcast because i'm always talking about managing what you're feeling actually because i'm not an empath but like i feel things (laughs) and um and actually empath or not life's going to trigger you and life's going to bowl you over sometimes and um, you need to know how to like take what you're feeling collect yourself and and use those feelings instructionally and, and channel those feelings into something useful, really cool. Um, you know, and really useful for like setting boundaries and stuff. Cause I think that's kind of what it's about. Like, um, because I'm actually doing all these practices to be more sensitive. (laughs) It's funny how people come at stuff from the other direction. And I'm definitely one of those. Like I'm, um, I generally considered myself pretty detached from like what others were feeling and like caring about that really very deeply. And I found like meditation and mindfulness kind of opened my eyes to what others were feeling and allowed me to, you know, have compassion for them and, and connect with them better. And, um, and, and with that comes a, you know, a greater openness to what they're experiencing. But I guess I have, I don't know, like these like hardwired boundaries that it doesn't really still get in very much, but I'm kind of like wondering that I, maybe I want some of it to get in, to really feel it, to really know, you know, what others are experiencing. But then it's just a question of like, you know, how much can we handle? You know, like, I don't, I I certainly don't want to have to like recover from being compassionate. I want compassion to like nourish me (laughs) rather than, uh, rather than overwhelm me. So, so it's a, it's a continual game I'm kind of learning about, you know? Yeah.
1: That's amazing to hear from that perspective as well. And I mean, I don't want to speak for my partner Declan, but I think he's kind of had that experience as well, where he has felt quite detached from, the emotions of other people, and he doesn't get quite so caught up in what's going on. And it's amazing because, you know, if back when we first started going out and I was really emotionally strung out, like just high highs and kind of low lows. And it was amazing that he was able to maintain this calmness through whatever I was going through. Whereas mm-hmm. I think if the roles, if I was with someone who was like me, it would just be this such an intense roller coaster because I'd be taking on their emotions and then they're taking on my emotions and it's just this back and forth, whereas he's really been able to maintain this stability that then has allowed me to explore my emotions and express my emotions in a healthier way and in itself that has helped me to level out a lot more. But I think he's kind of had the same experience where he has become more open to other people's emotions and challenges and things like that through mindfulness and through being with me and understanding what it's actually like. But it's funny because there's all these little moments where like we'll be watching the news and, you know, I've got tears running down my face because of something awful that's been happening. And he'll look over and be like, are you crying? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And it's just funny being able to see that difference between like, you know, something as simple as watching the news, which I actually don't do all that much because I just find it too um, emotionally stimulating a lot of the time, Um, you know, and I feel it so deeply. I see these people in pain and struggling and things and I, and I can't disconnect myself from how awful that must be. And whereas he can just watch it, you know what I mean? It's like a very different, he can still understand like, oh, it's awful and it's not a nice thing to be going through, but doesn't feel that in, inside as deeply I think as I do Um, but it's nice to be able to work with someone who is a bit more emotionally disconnected sometimes especially when I'm you know a bit more emotionally volatile I guess I would say but actually you know talking about emotional volatility I feel like for me, I've always had a bit of a perception that my emotions are bad, you know, that feeling things so intensely is bad. And I look at the lens, I look through the lens at my life and I feel as though, you know, I don't like that I've been such a highly sensitive person and such an emotional person. And so I think this journey for me recently, after finding out these different sides of myself has really been cultivating more of a an understanding and an acceptance for that of myself and feeling less guilty for, you know, the way that I've reacted in certain situations, if that makes sense. So I feel like, you know, I've, I've said emotionally volatile and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know if that was really a nice way to, to talk
0: about it. Oh, um, well, yeah. I just, I think right immediately Carla McLaren comes to mind. She calls that uh, valencing, um, which is a, um, a socially conditioned belief that there are certain emotions that are bad. And certain certain ones that are good, because of what we have sort of established over you know however many years and centuries as a society uh, ones that are good and bad because they're more desirable and less desirable to you know any given socio-cultural circumstances, um, but in fact, her, her emphatic uh belief is that there are no good and bad emotions, you know there are simply emotion emotions that have been you know, um, responded to and, uh, sort of, um, listened to and actioned properly and ones that have been responded to and actioned improperly. And usually the worst side of an emotion is not the emotion itself, simply our response to the emotion. So, um, so ending valencing is like a huge, uh, a huge campaign for hers, you know, of hers and, uh, and that kind of liberates the empathic mind.
1: Yeah, and I really like that because I think from my perspective um, with mindfulness, that's been something that has been helping me to work through that because I did used to think, you know, this is an awful emotion, I don't want to feel this and I kind of hate myself even for having this emotion of then And, of course, when you're saying things like I hate myself for having this emotion, you're having an emotional response to that because you feel ashamed and you feel guilty and you feel like your self-esteem has taken a hit and things like that. So I think that mindfulness for me has the non-judgmental aspect of mindfulness for me has made a big difference in how I've been interpreting my emotions over the last couple of years um, to be less uh, judgmental of the, you know, what I would have labeled as bad emotions like anger or jealousy or sadness or things they were triggering emotions for me because I would feel guilty whenever I had those emotions and I'd feel ashamed for those emotions Um, which obviously is a meta emotion like it's an emotion that you have as a result of another emotion and it just kind of perpetuates this cycle of feeling sad feeling ashamed feeling guilty feeling more sad and then eventually that passes and feeling happy and then feeling worried that you're going to feel sad again and so this cycle like continues
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and you and you live in this state of fear because when you're happy you're afraid of being sad and when you're sad you're afraid of you know I don't know, you're afraid of a lot of different things, really. I went through a lot of different phases of self harm and suicidal ideation. So I was always, you know, part of me was terrified of that. And so it just, yeah, it prolonged this whole cycle of being afraid of my emotions and worrying where my emotions would take me. And so for me, mindfulness was also about navigating those emotions in a less judgmental way um, and being able to accept different experiences. But I think learning about being an empath and having the highly sensitive aspect of me has just taken that to another level. I feel like, um, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to go and look into her work. It sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. 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 You'll find it's really interesting, you know, cause I don't, she doesn't really use a mindfulness vocabulary, but she doesn't have to, you know, but like you think about, um, like, Uh, removing judgment, you know, and it works for everything with mindfulness, right? So like mindful listening is listening without judgment. And then once you do, people get really interesting, right? All of a sudden remove our like own mental constructs that keep springing up and wow, I can get lost in these sort of fascinating layers of this person. And um, the same with everything else. Uh, We'll see a sunrise without judgment and all of a sudden it's like radiant, amazing you know, glory of creation coming over the horizon. Right. And, um, the same goes for emotions. So, um, actually when she started talking about the actual, like the full spectrum of what an emotion offers, things get really interesting. So she talks about sadness and she's like, sadness is really, really useful. It's great. I was like, what? And, uh, she's like, oh yeah. Have you ever meditated meditation? Um, you know, ancient meditative techniques. They're all about triggering um, a sadness experience. I was like, what? No meditations to make you happy. No, but actually the, um, the aspect of sadness, what sadness is attempting to serve us becoming present, becoming like, uh, more contemplative and internal that is literally sadness. That's literally a product, one product of sadness and you need sadness to meditate. And, um, The only problem is, is when it just becomes overwhelming. And then like we start, you know, like having toxic ideations around the sadness. Um, But actually the mechanic of sadness that gets us meditating is exactly the same mechanic of toxic sadness. It just depends on our Use of the sadness, of channeling it properly. And anger. Anger is power. You know, anger is your ability to establish boundaries and become firm in who you are and, you know, take a stand. It's exactly the same thing as, like, healthy strength and healthy power. You just need to channel it properly, which is good for me because I'm more prone maybe to anger than uh, sadness or or other things. And so so once you see all this, it's like, wow. So, like, when an emotion comes, you literally – can just, like, grab it and and just, like, be with it and then find its, like, instructive lighter side and and use that part of it. I had no idea.
1: Yeah, great. I'm really excited. I feel like that's such a – it's such a cool way to look at it because, you know, we're going to be feeling emotions throughout our lives and different emotions, and I feel like there's so much um, – for me, there's, there's still a lot of fear around feeling certain emotions, even though I'm getting much better at dealing with them. But it's, I think, the fear more so of the unhealthy coping mechanisms, more so than the emotion itself. Because I've had those experiences in the past where I haven't dealt with my emotions very well. And all I've wanted to do is escape my emotions and stop those emotions. Whereas learning how to channel it in a healthier and even like a meaningful, positive, powerful way is really exciting.
0: On the light side of being an empath and an HSP, um, I'd love to hear about how it's sort of served you, you know, and how it's served your work and allowed you to, you know, serve your mission, which is to help people.
1: Yeah, I think it's guided me really my whole life without so much me understanding it. I mean, like I said, I I feel as though having those intense emotions from such a young age is what pushed me towards psychology and wanting to understand myself more and also wanting to help other people who are having similar experiences to what I was. And so really, I think that's the whole reason why I went into psychology in the first place and why I've done the work that I've done. And even with my podcast, you know, it's a labor of love. You know, each episode takes, you know, four, five hours, maybe every week. And I don't, get anything directly from that I don't have sponsorships or anything like that Um, so it's been something that I've done genuinely because I want to help other people and I have used it as a platform to you know promote my meditation albums and all that sort of stuff but that didn't come until much later Um, and even then I focus on creating things that are going to be genuinely helpful for people and it's funny too because I feel as though with creating products and trying to build an income that's sustainable and all that sort of thing it's because I want to help people for the rest of my life and I kind of need an income to do that so I feel like even from that perspective I'm I'm trying to earn an income so that I can keep helping people and and build my platform so that I can reach more people Um, so I think being able to make a difference has been such a driving force in everything that I've done and I, I do I appreciate that about myself and I think that's kind of hard to say because I never used to really appreciate certain things. Um, But being able to understand the highly sensitive aspects of myself has made me more open to appreciating the different aspects of who I am and why I do the things that I do. Um, So I think that, yeah, the HSB and the empath and everything, they were sides of me that I never used to like so much because they were just so overwhelming and they felt distracting and um, I kind of wished that I could cut myself off a lot of the time. Um, but now I see it kind of as the reason why I do what I do and my my um, guidance in moving forward.
0: Yeah, it sounds like um, you also understand that uh, yeah to, to take care of others and to help others, you know, you also have to consider yourself. And you know your own your own financial sustainability and your own um, physical and mental health to be able to properly show up for others too
1: yeah, definitely and I think that was something I resisted for quite a while. Um, I just didn't like the feeling of asking for money or you know creating things for money so doing an exchange of any sort I yeah felt guilty about that and then I started to realize different things that it wasn't a bad thing. And yeah, I guess kind of deep down to know that I deserve to be doing the work that I enjoy and making a difference with people and earning an income from that. um, It's been quite an interesting process to actually go through.
0: About setting boundaries. Do you have any like boundary setting techniques that you use actually that you can share with anyone?
1: Yeah, probably the main thing that I found particularly helpful is learning more about assertiveness and, actually being able to follow assertiveness skills step by step. So for me, I I'm at heart a people pleaser and I would say yes to everything if I could and burn out and push myself to extremes when I don't even need to, because people don't even always ask me. I kind of interpret what I think someone else needs and then go do that. And then they're like, why did you do that? I didn't even want you to do that. (laughs) Um, So I've always kind of had that um, people pleasing tendency and, and, inability to say no and so assertiveness for me has been about understanding first of all what my needs and my wants are and really being able to dive into that a bit deeper so knowing what tires me out energetically um, and what kind of work resonates with me or doesn't resonate with me and then being able to communicate that Um, in an assertive way so I think we were talking earlier about interviews I don't do that many interviews because I do feel as though um, talking with other people takes a lot of energy for me being an introvert and sometimes um, the highly sensitive and empath side of that play a part as well Um, but being able to know that I I can't do interviews usually more than once a week Um, so I'm very selective with who I do interviews with and that's something that i've had to communicate more and more as people have you know found my work and put in requests and things like that i need to be able to navigate that in an assertive and confident and calm way um so yeah i think really the first step is just understanding what you actually need and being able to listen to your emotions and so um just know, I guess, what you actually want to communicate and then being able to communicate that in an assertive way. And I've talked about that a little bit on my blog and on a few episodes of the podcast, but I can't remember which ones they were. Um, And then I put a whole chapter on it in my book as well because I feel like it's been such an important part of putting boundaries in place for myself and being able to communicate those boundaries to other people in you know, kind of more positive and meaningful ways rather than the passive aggressive ways, which is kind of what I used to do because I didn't know to how how to articulate those.
0: Um, yeah. And where, where actually, what avenues of your life do you find you most need to set them where there's like the most potential incursions energetically um, on you?
1: I think my work now plays a big role. Actually throughout my whole life, my work has played a big role because Um, So the job that I had before I was in my business full time, I was working in an open plan office. Um, So I found that being around everybody for the whole working day was a bit too much for me. And so I asked my boss if I could come in. Two hours earlier, so I started work at seven in the morning rather than at nine o'clock. So I'd have two hours to myself to really get into my work and get things done before I started to feel impacted by other people's energies. Because if someone came in at nine o'clock and was angry or really stressed out or feeling these really intense, intense emotions around me, I couldn't separate myself from that and it would kind of throw me off a little bit. So having that time to really dive into my work on my own was really important for me. And also meant that I could get home um, a little bit earlier. So I'd start at seven and leave at three um, because I wanted to get home and make sure that I had enough time for all my self care things and to look after myself and make sure that I had a healthy meal and got to bed early and all those sorts of self care practices that are really important.
0: What were you hoping to bring to people uh, with the Mindful Kind book?
1: I really wanted to share as many practical stress management and mindfulness techniques as I could. Um, So putting that into a book was just an amazing thing to be able to do. I love writing and I've always loved writing and it was always a dream of mine to write a book. Um, So it just kind of happened really naturally. and I was really, really lucky in that a publisher asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book on that topic because I think it's just something that people want to learn about more and more these days. So I was really, really lucky in that regard Um, but I was so ready to dive into it I loved the process of it and being able to put everything down into a tool essentially that people could use and that was really what I wanted it to be I wanted it to become a practical tool that people could highlight and you know underline and take notes from and then be able to implement those things into their everyday life. Um so that was, yeah, really the driving force behind it.
0: Do you have another one coming?
1: I am thinking about it. It's starting to formulate a bit in my mind. And it's funny because as I was writing the first one, I was like, oh I really love this. And then by the end it's such a long process. You're just like, oh I feel like I need to take a break for a little while. And um, you know, pretty much as soon as I decided that I started getting ideas for the next one. And so it's just been kind of percolating in the background for the moment, but I do want to work a bit more on my own, um, offerings for a little while. Um, my courses and meditation albums and things like that, because I kind of took a step back from that while I was writing the book. Um, so yeah, but I'm excited about what I can create next.
0: Well, I think it's inevitable given how much, how many techniques you're accumulating and playing with and bringing to people and uh, there's just probably going to have to be more and more volumes to get them all down on paper
1: yeah. and in circulation.
0: <laughs> anything you would like to tell people in terms of where they can find you, um, your latest projects that you would um, like them to check out and just any information. I'm going to leave links and stuff in the, um, in the show notes of like, you know, every, every way they can find you, but um, anything you want to talk about now in terms of, what's going on?
1: Yeah, cool. So pretty much if you just come over to my website at rachelcable.com, you'll find everything there. Like my podcast links are all there and my book and um, my blog and my contact details and Instagram and Facebook, you know, all those links are right there. So it's rachelcable, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-K-A-B-L-E.com.
0: And it seems pretty interactional still. I mean, you have a lot of downloads now and I'm sure you get a lot of people reaching out to you, but is this um, very much a platform where you're just inviting um, everyone to to reach out and ask questions and get guidance?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I found social media has played a huge role in that as well, especially I spend a lot of time on Instagram and creating things that are going to be helpful and doing posts that are going to remind people about mindfulness practices. So I find it such a good way to stay in touch um, each day and to communicate um, different things. But yeah, absolutely. I I love hearing from new people and making new connections. So do feel free to reach out.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, honestly, it's just such an inspiration to see someone taking uh, their challenges and, and finding a way of making it, um, useful to people, all the things that you've learned and all the things that you've discovered about yourself and, and making it into a platform that works for you uh, within your your own limitations and boundaries and uh, doing as much as you can to, I guess, sublimate and alchemize all of your challenges into something useful, which is, um, you know, very much what my project's about. So, yeah, I really appreciate uh, seeing what you're doing and I really uh, appreciate having you on the show.
1: Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. It was such a great conversation. And I feel like I, um, I had a really good time being able to talk about things that I don't get that much of an opportunity to talk about. So thank you so much for having me. And yeah, keep, keep doing all the awesome things that you're doing.
0: Great. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you for listening to the Serve Conscious Podcast. Please check out the website at www.serveconscious.com for more content, which will always be free. And check out my Instagram profile now. There will be a link in the show notes. Five days a week, I'm going to be putting out a one-minute shot of mindful wisdom called Mindful Ninja Moves that are designed for maximum applicability to your life. It's really great because I don't have 60 minutes or 120 minutes to get my point across. I have 60 seconds, and it's so much fun. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you out there.